0: Thanks for listening to the Longestity Now podcast, the place for all your news and views of life extension from around the world. If you like the podcast, don't be shy about sharing it. More exposure for life extension efforts means more acceptance and more investment. Lately, we have been doing some follow-ups, a practice that is sadly disappearing from most media landscapes. In the field of rejuvenation research, it is even more important to look back and see what has worked, what has not, and why. More money is flowing into the space, and we would all like for it to be well spent. So it is time we follow up with the progress at i Therapeutics, one of the first companies spun out of the SENS Research Foundation. They have had some success and some failure, but continue to grow. Find out more about i journey and what they are working on now in this interview with the founder, Kelsey Moody. And now I would like to welcome to Longestity Now Podcast, the founder of i Therapeutics, Kelsey Moody. Welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me, Justin. Well, it's been a couple of years since you filled uh, the audience in on how things are going at i Can you give us a brief overview in the last, say, year, you know, how have things gone at i as far as new leads into solving the riddle of aging and any uh, new projects that have started up, uh, any new spinoffs, or uh, how are things going?
1: Well, uh, things have been busy to to say the least. I'm sure some of the uh, listeners might be aware that we completed our new uh, construction, our new vivarium in uh, January of this year and moved in. That gives us a uh, substantive amount of new capabilities on the pharmacology and toxicology side um, with both small and large animals. So our For our programs, we're going to be able to do a lot of those sorts of studies in-house with far more capability and capacity than we ever had before. So that was very exciting. We also acquired a a well-established preclinical CRO called Woodland Biosciences in August that was a great milestone for us. Um, Woodland has extensive experience in fibrosis and Nash, and um, as I'm sure you're aware, those disease states uh, overlap quite a bit with cellular senescence. So, being able to bring on their models, their expertise, and uh, you know, also the uh, the clientele that we can continue to support has been a, a very good, very good partnership between uh, between us and them. We've also, you know, one of the things that we keep seeing in the aging space is the lack of clear biomarkers. You know, how do you measure uh, aging in the body? Certainly we see, uh, you know, different age clocks and different indices, so to speak, of, of biomarkers that people are putting together. But we've also um, started to do uh, in the last year, we now fully operate one of the local university staff and operate one of the local university cryo-TEM core facilities which is allowing us to do a lot more detailed cellular analysis than we previously could.
0: Yeah, you're doing more (laughs) cellular analysis than you previously could in regards to developing your own markers of aging, biomarkers of aging, discovering new biomarkers of aging, or just using other ones that are out there? Trying to discover new ones. Uh, I can't speak on it in detail right now, but we uh,
1: we do have a paper that's been submitted for peer review publication, um, describing a novel senescence biomarker that we think might be useful for both preclinical and clinical studies in senescence because, you know, we've seen some very epic failures with, you know, Unity's crash after the uh, osteoarthritis clinical trial results. And one of the kind of outstanding questions is, well you know, was an issue where senescence simply didn't cause the disease or was it being tracked in a way that, you know, didn't allow us to see how well the compound was working and so forth. And and having robust biomarkers that are predictive of what your compound is doing is something that's needed in the space.
0: Definitely. And uh, just an interesting little side question. How do you value the biological markers, the cellular markers of aging versus the functional test? There are a lot of different functional aging tests for humans. And you know, I kind of think that those maybe are slightly more important as far as validating any potential rejuvenation therapies versus cellular markers. Where do you fall
1: on that? I think both are important, but you need to understand that they answer different questions. So uh, if I have a drug that I'm developing for a disease of age, say I have a senolytic and I'm trying to clear senescent cells, There's two different questions I need to ask. Question number one is, is my drug clearing senescent cells? And then question number two is, when I clear senescent cells, does that influence the disease state? So having kind of your conventional behavioral markers, you know, your get up and go test and these sorts Mm -hmm. of things, they're very, very good to tell you whether you've influenced the disease, but they're not good for necessarily telling you that your drug is on mechanism. So if I have a compound that I think is a senolytic and I treat a patient and I don't see functional improvements, I can't tell whether my drug didn't work on its target or whether that target isn't relevant for aging. And so it's important to be able to parse apart those issues because if my compound works great on my target, I've created new knowledge. I know that that target isn't necessarily as important in an aging process as perhaps we thought it was. Whereas if we can't see that, then that doesn't inform us for you know, what, where to go next.
0: Okay, and then uh, talk about uh, therapeutics. Uh, One that kind of popped up on the radar screen a few years back was C60 in olive oil. And i Therapeutics was able to pick that up because many uh, people around the world were wondering, is this result about C60 in the rats in in Europe? Uh, They're the one small study. Is there anything there? You guys picked up the torch, tried it out, and you did publish a paper recently. How would you characterize That process and your result?
1: Process was long, our result disappointing. So we had actually. I mean, we raised like, I think a million and a half dollars to uh, pursue studies on C60. We actually in-licensed all of the original patents and IP surrounding C60 and olive oil for life extension applications. And unfortunately, we weren't able to publish these findings in the paper that came out, but we had launched a massive multi-arm uh, lifespan study. I want to say it was on the order of maybe 150 mice or so uh, with full biomarker workups and everything thing that you know, we were, that we were pursuing very unfortunately when we got halfway through the study and there was no resolution between the experience, you know, the treated groups and the untreated groups, the uh, sponsor of the study decided to uh, discontinue it for, for cash flow reasons. So although we didn't see any, uh, any effects there, I wasn't able to publish that body of literature because it was an incompleted study, despite being very well-powered and having large biomarker control or, a, you know, biomarker data data sets and so forth. We were able to run a few smaller studies through completion, as well as our collaborators, and that's the basis of the lifespan studies uh, in the uh, publication that just came out in Geroscience. What was really concerning to us, though, is we found that the preparations of C60 and olive oil from different providers on the web was very inconsistent. Uh, It rarely met the specifications listed on the bottle, and more importantly, if it was handled incorrectly, um, it was acutely lethal in laboratory animals. So we had, uh, you know, animals that were given C-16 olive oil that died within a few days of administration. That's uh, highly concerning given the number of people that are taking this compound. And equally concerning is when I've, you know, spoken to some of these online vendors, they don't seem terribly concerned about the safety issues that they're posing, which is, you know, I think a little bit irresponsible. You know, I'm, I'm definitely an advocate of allowing people to be informed about things that might not necessarily have gone through all the regulatory approvals and things like that. But, you know, when you have a, a company like ours that's put the amount of resources in to try to commercialize this and we see that lab animals just die when they are administered the stuff, um, then I, I, I think a, a hard pause to ask what people are actually consuming and whether this should be marketed is, you know, that conversation is definitely warranted.
0: Yeah. Well, again, I, I'm very grateful. Thanks uh, to ICOR for actually uh, following through uh, one of the few studies here that actually was published about a follow-up study on the C60 and olive oil. Now, let's move on to some other therapeutics that you're working on. Of course, you've got your hands in many jars out there as far as uh, different strands of rejuvenation. What about Lysoclear? Now, you've uh, been working on that for a few years, and I think it's in, getting into trials now, correct?
1: We were getting close and had a major setback. So we, uh, up until uh, I'll say like through December of last year or so, um, we had been developing an enzyme that had actually been first described by SENS Research Foundation, manganese peroxidase. And uh, this enzyme was able to break down the junk that accumulates in the back of the eye that we believe causes age-related macular degeneration over the course of the last couple of years. We demonstrated in cell based, uh, in uh, biochemical assays, cell based assays, and in vivo in animals that this enzyme is able to remove that molecular junk, is able to degrade it, and we were really excited to move uh, that program forward into the clinic. We were actually preparing for a pre IND meeting with FDA, so this is where a company like ours would kind of prepare what our plan is to conduct you know final preclinical studies and move into the clinic and one of our manufacturing consultants who's an expert in making these sorts of complex biologics for clinical use was reviewing the the compound and um basically the uh it sounds like a minor thing, but it's not, the uh, sugar profile on the co- on the enzyme, which is necessary for how it gets delivered into the cells, was a little bit too variable. So the, the sugars are kind of like a tree coming out of the ground, and they have different branches that kind of grow somewhat randomly in different directions. And for an FDA grade clinical product, you can't have any variability. So it's not sufficient that we have beautiful orchards of trees growing out of the enzyme, um, They need to have literally identical branching patterns and if they don't, then they're not suitable for clinical use. So that was kind of a, a very disappointing bombshell because we had a, a great enzyme that worked really, really well in all of these, different, all of these uh, different assays. And unfortunately, we weren't able to manufacture it in a different way that would allow us to get around that problem. There's, there's different ways you can do that with different expression systems and so forth, but ultimately those efforts were unsuccessful. We did, in parallel to those activities, launch a new screening campaign to try to identify new enzymes that wouldn't have that manufacturing issue and would have similar pharmacological parameters to the original enzyme. And we were very fortunate to identify two that actually appear to be performing better than the original enzyme. Neither of these new enzymes have, uh, they utilize a different delivery system and they avoid all of the manufacturing issues that were associated uh, with the first one, those enzymes uh, actually in the last uh, in the last month or so have moved into animal studies for the first time. And pending favorable results from those trials, we should be able to uh, continue moving the program forward and get ready for a, a pre-IND meeting.
0: Well, that is unfortunate to hear about that. You never know what stumbling blocks are going to be. Yeah, they're going to crop up in research. It's a complicated process. What about small molecule development in uh, senolytics? I know you have a partnership or a spinoff, Fox Bio. How are things going there?
1: So yeah, Fox Bio is our small molecule senolytic program that we're uh, pursuing in collaboration with Juvenescence. Unfortunately, uh, everything about that program's uh, super hush hush. I'm not allowed to
0: talk about it. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> apologies. But it's still going. <laughs> it's still, You're going. still working with them. Yes. Okay, that's good to hear. Uh, good to hear. Uh, anything hush hush about uh, Octus Biolytics and the RP tag technology that they're developing? Uh, can you say anything about that?
1: That's something I am able to talk about. Okay. <laughs> A little bit, um, anyway. Yeah, so the, the point of Octus Biologics is to, we have proprietary technology. It's an antibody mimetic scaffold. And what that means is. It's a protein that we can engineer to bind clinically relevant targets uh, with very high affinity. Uh, this is useful for blocking pathways, labeling targets for the immune system, and things like that. And antibodies work really well in a clinical setting, but they're very expensive to manufacture, and antibodies are very fragile. So you have to infuse them, which is a laborious process, and you can't use them in certain areas of the body that you would like to use them, like the gas. Gastrointestinal tract. If you eat antibodies, they get degraded by the GI system, so uh, they can't be used for GI related diseases largely. There, there are some, but they can't go through the GI tract. Octuses technology platform, which we now call a ribobody, um, is actually gut-stable. So we can use it to target uh, gut targets. So we've demonstrated that we can engineer the ribobody to bind a variety of different oncology targets that are of therapeutic interest and kind of conventional- Cancer, cancer oncology targets. Yeah, and kind of a more conventional uh, sort of approach, but where I think the real value is going to come in is, you know, we're seeing, especially in the aging space, all kinds of interest in the microflora, leaky gut, and inflammation, and how that drives age-related processes, and the more we identify how these pathways work, the more there's going to uh, be a need to modulate them, and biologics can't really work in the GI tract, because again, the whole point of the GI tract is to break down biologics so you can absorb them. Because our scaffold is stable in those conditions, uh, we think that this is going to be a really, really promising therapeutic platform to go after gut targets, and we're pursuing a variety of partnerships to uh, explore those opportunities presently.
0: Well, great. Yeah, good to hear of some successes. We've also heard of a couple of stumbling blocks that have cropped up over the last couple of years, and you've been in business for over five years now. One of the, you know, one of the first to really strike out in the rejuvenation space Talking with that experience and maybe talking toward other people who are just starting their careers or businesses in uh, the rejuvenation space, what do you think is the most difficult or surprising part about your journey managing and developing a rejuvenation-focused company?
1: Really, it's all on the science side. Uh, when I got into the aging space, and as I even spun out iCor, I was under the impression that the molecular targets of aging that we wanted to go after were clearly defined, and that it was simply a matter of applying enough funding and enough effort to modulating those targets, and we could, you know, really start seeing a lot of progress. And the hard part is that there's not very many valid targets. A lot of the um, hype in the space is coming off of you know publications where there's only one or two papers. Uh, we have systematically gone through quite a bit of the aging literature and a lot of what's published uh, does not hold up to our scrutiny. Some of those findings, like the C60 work we've discussed publicly, other findings uh, we haven't been able to. Um, And so the, the real challenge in the space and the one that we encountered trying to build out this company is being able to know definitively or with some reasonable confidence that the pathway we're trying to drug is a viable pathway that will have an aging impact.
0: That is interesting that you bring that up because someone else at another company, another rejuvenation-focused company who you might be familiar with, once told me, and this is already five, six years ago, that the toughest part of his job was sorting through 90% of the junk papers that are out there and finding the 10% that are golden that you can actually base a, a, a business off of where you can do further research. And you would kind of agree with that.
1: Yes, I would, and that's you know that's one of the uh, kind of advantages, though I think, to our business model. Um, we, we did everything backwards from what most people would recommend. Uh, Usually, if you're doing a therapeutic company, you want to be a virtual company in Silicon Valley or Boston that outsources all of your work to, you know, third-party CROs so you can stay nice and lean and we decided to do the exact opposite. We set up in central New York in a very rural area with uh, brick-and-mortar facilities and we've built, you know, structure-based drug discovery through in vivo Pharmacology, all completely in-house and the advanced advantage to that approach is that we have in-house the ability to test any hypothesis that's published, any previous findings. So when we explore taking on a new program, we can take you know the paper, try to replicate, you know, two or three of the critical findings. That's very inexpensive. It's very fast. It's a low lift. And then you can prioritize uh, projects based on that. We have a lot of investors that we work with that, you know, will come to us with a portfolio of different potential projects. And we're able to help them, you know, triage and rank order, what things appear to be viable, what things don't replicate very well. Um, And that's really important because there's not nearly enough resources in this space. And it's important to make sure that those resources are being spent on the best projects possible
0: sure and is that the biggest hurdle to speeding up development and commercialization of rejuvenation therapeutics some people say you know there's not enough scientists some people say there's not enough money but perhaps is it there's not enough good science out there to move things along more quickly
1: I think that's it, and I wouldn't even go so far as to say that there's not enough good science. Science is hard, and it's very easy to be 85% correct in moving the needle on something that's brand new knowledge and that's what we see a lot of is a lot of the literature isn't completely correct but it's mostly correct but the devil's in the detail on the mostly versus completely and unfortunately you need to be pretty close to completely correct in order to you know make drugs if you have a, a pathway or protein you're targeting a molecule you're making you need to have with, you know, frequently atomic level precision, exactly, you know, a clear understanding of exactly what that thing's doing and how that's going to work to create drugs in this day and age. And if that information is incomplete, then it's very difficult to move programs. I can say that, you know, we, we deal with uh, a, lot of, a lot of clients. So we do, you know, intramural research and as well support client research. The number of large pharmaceutical companies that have reached out to me to talk about the aging space, there's interest, they're paying attention. And I'm not just talking about like the, you know, forward thinking innovation directors and things like that at Big Pharma, like they have large therapeutic directors. They're like, hey, maybe we should target senescence, maybe we should target fundamental aging pathways, because this is a completely new way of approaching how we drug these diseases. But what I hear from them and what I see as kind of boots on the ground is knowing what targets to go after is you know, still a bit of an unknown. And it just takes a little while for the research community to replicate studies enough and really iron out all of those details.
0: Yeah. Speaking of boots on the ground, um, let's talk about youth out there, the uh, people coming up in the ranks at university, studying uh, biotechnology. Now, you've taken on quite a few interns in the past, and Longestity has supported them, and some of them have gone on to some great careers. But when I interview them in the past, uh, they often say, you know, not many other Of their peers are really all that interested. Uh, They speak about, you know, rejuvenation biotechnology and and the peers in the lab at college at Syracuse say, well, I never thought about it. (laughs) And has that changed over the years? Do you see a larger interest now in the university pool of talent in rejuvenation research?
1: uh it is slow but it does seem to be changing i think that you know back when you and i got involved in this space uh, which was some time ago aging was very much a fringe discipline i distinctly remember a few years back when i was in medical school sitting in a lecture on geriatric medicine where the lecturer literally said in front of the class now obviously no one's trying to make drugs that will actually target aging like that was an actual thing that you know they said at the front of the uh, at the front of the class and what's amazing to me is just a few years later, you know, nature's rolling out a new magazine that's focused on aging. That actual medical school is now building a longevity institute that's dedicated to these things. And, you know, the even when I went to uh, the National Institute on Aging in, in Bethesda last year to, to speak on these topics, they're really advocating for a fundamentally new way of approaching medicine, where instead of looking at age-related disease in a systems manner, like a clinician would, right? If you have age-related heart issues, you go to a cardiologist. Age-related neural issues, you go to a neurologist. They're seemingly promoting kind of this uh, the Sen style approach of different classes of molecular damage and really thinking about how senescent cells drive disparate age-related diseases. And it's really a, a pathway thing where the diseases of aging are
0: simply the symptoms. I'm and sure... Yeah. You like me are saying it's about time. And just as a comment on my own part here, it seems as though n- too many problems are not being solved as fast as they could because we're never going to the root of the problem, whether it be aging or it be economic problems, social problems. It seems like we're always fixing the symptoms, you know, putting a band aid on things. So what I hear from you. Makes me optimistic for the future that perhaps uh, in the medical field we'll get more to the root problems uh, and help cure a lot of age-related diseases.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. One of the other things too that I think is very exciting, for purely practical reasons, is the connection between age-related immune dysfunction and you know some of these pathways. So uh, one of the things that's really made aging research difficult is the duration of clinical trials, the size of the clinical trials, the expense. If you're doing an Alzheimer's clinical trial, that's incredibly difficult. If we look at it from a pathway perspective and we see uh, age-related immune decline as a viable target, and we're trying to modulate something like that, now you're in a, an infectious disease world where the iterative cycle for clinical work is much, much quicker, where you can look at rates of hospitalization, or if you're you know doing frailty and looking for like rates of falling or post-hospitalization release, there's a lot of indications, disease states that you can go after that are much quicker and can kind of prove out the pathway if, again, you have biomarkers that show that your drug is working the way you think it is. That's exactly the, Development path that Restore Bio took. It was really disappointing when they failed to hit their primary endpoints with their small molecules. Uh, but I think the approach was brilliant. They went after infectious disease with the plan to go after other age-related diseases on the back end. And by leading with infectious disease, they were able to get their results very quickly. And I think that's very smart.
0: Yeah, I can see that uh, being a mode that more you know rejuvenation companies might take in the future. Now, as far as ICor goes, and yourself, is there anything you'd like to promote about the company, or any papers that might be published soon, uh, conferences ICor personnel might be at that uh, people can follow online?
1: Uh, we've done a couple of virtual conferences, and we'll probably uh, continue to do that moving forward. At this point, the main thing that we're looking for are our additional hires. So, with our uh, recent expansions, we're very much looking for biophysicists, uh, structural biologists, pharmacologists, and toxicologists that can, you know, help us uh, help us to expand both our capabilities and capacities, but also give us additional depth in uh, in new. Uh, therapeutic areas. So if there's anyone that's interested in becoming involved with the company in a you know, consulting or full-time employment capacity, they should definitely reach out. We, we definitely need need more hands.
0: Great. Well, I'm going to tell people as well. Yeah. Reach out and take a look. There's you know, I-Corps, but many other companies that are expanding right now in the rejuvenation space, and we need all hands on deck, I would say. Well, Kelsey, thank you so much for joining us on the Longestity Now podcast. My pleasure. Thanks a lot, Justin. There you heard it. i is hiring. So are many other rejuvenation-focused companies. If you have the talent and ambition to contribute, take a look around. You might find a very rewarding career that was not available just a few short years ago. Until next time, I'm Justin Lowe.